Well, good morning. I invite you to take God's Word and open it this morning to Luke chapter 11, verses 14 to 28 is our text this morning. Luke chapter 11, <clears throat> verse 14 to 28. I'm going to uh, read, read this passage uh, before us. I'd like to just ask if you're able this morning that you would stand out of reverence for God's Word as we read it together from Luke chapter 11. We'll begin looking at verse 14 as Luke is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he says this, Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, this day we praise you for your word. Father, we thank you that light has broken into darkness. We thank you that Jesus has broken in in power and authority and might into this world. Father, would you help us this morning as your people see things from your word that we don't physically see with our eyes? Lord, help us to see with faith true reality, eternal reality. Help us to see the reality of your throne, that even now Jesus is ruling and reigning and is at work. And Father, would you help us to be changed by your word this day? It's in Christ's name we ask it. Amen. May be seated. 
In today's passage, and really all the way through the rest of chapter 11, controversy and confrontation are now going to come to the center stage. Jesus has been sending out his disciples, we've seen on a short-term mission trip, so to speak, to proclaim his kingdom. He's been teaching about what it truly means to be a neighbor, to love others, and in The first 13 verses of chapter 11, we saw Jesus' instruction to the disciples on how to pray. Jesus has been teaching. He's been leading with authority. And verse 14 turns a corner when the leadership of Jesus is going to be called into question. Jesus is going to have some very strong things to say later in this chapter to the Pharisees, to the lawyers in verse 37 and following the woes that he will pronounce. But here in our text, controversy and corrections begin to take place. The main point for us to see from these verses this morning is this, Jesus's kingdom has come. He is Lord of all. Therefore, we are to listen to and obey him. Jesus' kingdom has come. He is Lord of all. Therefore, we are to listen to and obey him. Remember the overall occasion of this gospel letter as uh, way back in chapter 1. In verses 1 to 4, Luke there is writing to Theophilus and he's compiling these events of eyewitnesses and ministers of the word so that... He, Theophilus, and we through extension so that we may have certainty concerning the things that we have been taught, the things that we believe about Jesus, so that we will have solidification of those truths, that we may know that Jesus is Savior, that he is Lord, that he is ruling, that he is reigning. In these verses in chapter 11 before us today, Jesus' authority is challenged And we get to see Jesus give a defense of himself and of his ministry. He's going to be challenged, and then we're going to hear from Jesus and his response to this challenge. Uh, Two points will guide us through this text. First, we're going to see Jesus defend his authority in verses 14 to 23. He's going to defend his authority, and then we're going to contrast two responses um, to Jesus' authority and the remaining verses 24 to 28. So response is contrasted. So first let's look at authority defended. Verse 14 gives us the context of what's taking place and it sort of just thrusts us right into this scene. Right after the teaching on prayer, verse 14 says, now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. Uh, That's all that's said about the actual event of Jesus' healing. So uh, verse 14 just quickly thrusts us into this account. Person had a demon. Jesus cast out that demon. The demon calls the man to not be able to speak. Most likely the man couldn't hear either. And Jesus cast out the demon. The man spoke. The crowds that were there saw this. And they marveled at what they had seen. So far, so good. Uh, One important thing for us to notice is that Jesus' miracles, just think about this for a minute, were never called into question. 
Okay, his miracles of what he did were never called in question. They were not calling into question, did he really cast this demon out? We don't see those things called into question. No, Jesus' miracles were clear. They were for all to see. Blind people got their sight. Deaf people began to hear and speak. Dead people were actually raised. Waves were actually calmed. Demons being cast out. What we see over and over again in the Gospels is pointing to the reality is that Jesus has power and authority over all. So as we look at these verses, I know that as we continue to see Jesus' miracles in the Gospels, as we see them over and over, we just need to um, remember and know, hey, these are actual events that took place. Jesus actually did these things some 2,000 years ago. He is speaking and casting out demons. We need to let that reality hit us afresh. Verses 15 and 16 record two responses to Jesus casting out these demons. First, we see in verse 15, some of the people said, he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. Some of the crowd saw Jesus perform this healing, and they said to the other people present as they saw this happen, he is doing this by the power of Satan. That's really what Jesus is doing. It's by the power of Satan that he is able to cast out these demons. Beelzebul, they're referring to Satan, the prince of demons. They didn't believe in Jesus, obviously. They were skeptical of him. They rejected his authority. They didn't want to see Jesus have sway with people. They didn't want to see people be marveling at what he had done and therefore believe in this person. They didn't want others to follow Jesus, and so they're saying, listen, he's casting out demons by Satan. Second response we see in verse number 16, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. Amazingly, others saw Jesus cast out a demon and a man speak who couldn't before, uh, and then they asked Jesus and they wanted him to perform a sign. No doubt they had seen other healings, other miracles. We've already seen uh, in the book of Luke, Jesus raised a widow's son from the dead. He cleansed lepers. He cast out multiple demons. He's fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and fish and spoke to the wind of the waves. All these things that we've seen Jesus has done, but yet these people see and they say, we want you to perform a sign from heaven. I'm not sure what they wanted to see. Frankly, people have their thoughts of what they maybe wanted them to see. Uh, Do they want Jesus to make the sun or the moon stand still, the stars to twirl around each other? I don't know. Did they want angels to come do a back somersault flip and then point down to him? I'm not sure. But what we can be sure of is these people did not want to submit to Jesus' authority. They did not want to submit to his authority. They saw what Jesus did they wanted something more. And what they're doing is they're putting themselves over and above Jesus, saying, Jesus, we, we, we want you to do this for us. What a warning for us today. To hear and to see the truth about Jesus, but to want something more. They didn't want to come to Jesus on his terms. They want Jesus to come to them on their terms. 
They wanted to give Jesus instruction on how to do things, not for Jesus to give them instructions on how to live and how to think. They saw the work of Jesus and they sought to explain it away or they saw the work of Jesus and they said, we need to see other things we want you to do so that we will believe. We see this exact same mentality in our day and age. People will want, we even as Christians struggle with this, we want to come to Jesus on our terms to have Jesus do what we want him to do, to have things go like we think they should go. The unbelieving world can look at a, a saved, changed person who is living as salt and living as light, and they can explain it away to others, and they tell others, basically, there's nothing to see here. There's nothing to see, just some person believing in something that thinks it's making a difference to them. There's nothing to see about this Jesus. Others can read the Bible, find something there they don't like about God, maybe a doctrine that is offensive to them. And so they come to Jesus and they say, no, not that. You need to do this. We, we don't really like this whole thing of election. Uh, hell, no, nah, not so much. God's wrath just best not to speak about that. Church discipline, etc. See, that same vein can begin to creep in where we say, Jesus, I think this is best. Here's what you need to be doing. Oh, as we even read through these gospels, we see what a reality on display of the fallen, sinful nature of mankind. We are sinful. We are spiritually dead, seeing these events and wanting Jesus to do more. And even in our own day of being able to read the inspired word of God that points us to Christ and people just walk away. What a picture, what a picture of the fallen state of mankind. So these people in the crowd are basically saying, what you see here is not divine, it is demonic. It's not divine, it's demonic. And so this brings us to Jesus' reply in verse 17 and following. Jesus, in, in this reply, he, he gives a basic logic and universal principle to prove to the crowd and to those present and through God's inspired word to us here today that what these people are saying about him is false and it doesn't even make sense. So Jesus is going on the offensive in these verses and he proves to them and to us the kingdom of God has come. Jesus is ruling and reigning. Look at verse number 17. But he, knowing their thoughts, which is a touch ironic, isn't it? That they're wanting a sign and then Jesus is here even knowing their thoughts. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and a divided household falls this is a general truth. It's a reality of life. Whether a nation, whether a house, meaning a household or a family, if it's divided against itself, it cannot stand. We see that in the Old Testament in Israel's history. We see that throughout history itself. We see that in our own present day and age. Divided kingdoms won't last and divided households won't endure. 
Jesus drives this logic home in the following verse. He says, And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. You see the kingdom language being used to talk about Satan's kingdom and the kingdom of God. And how can it be that Jesus casts out demons by the power of demons? What sense does that make? What is logical about that? Why would Satan cast out Satan and cast out his own work? Jesus continues, he says, If I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by who do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. Jesus is connecting some dots for them here, and he asks, By who do other people that you don't condemn, that you side with, who do they cast out demons by? Obviously, they're not casting out demons by demons or the power of Satan. Therefore, they are judging these people who are rejecting Jesus because they prove the point, Satan doesn't cast out Satan. Verse 20 states the truth of the matter. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Reality of the fact is Jesus cast out demons not by the power of Satan, but by the very finger of God. It is by the power of God that Jesus is doing what he is doing. And he teaches something very important for us. And we see it over again in the Gospels where he says, The kingdom of God has come upon you. That is Jesus' rule, Jesus' reign has broken in to this world. What Jesus is doing gives evidence to the fact that God's kingdom has arrived. The rule and the reign of King Jesus is here. It has come. It has broken into this fallen world. And Jesus is here giving evidence to the fact that God's kingdom has come. The promised one is here. And Jesus himself is saying, look, that's what my miracles are proving. It is proving to you the kingdom of God has come into this world. And so Jesus is defending his ministry. And so when we see these healings, we know this has taken place. We are to learn from that, that Jesus has authority and power. He is ruler. He is the king. He is the judge. That is the reality of the matter. That is true then and the same is true this very hour, Jesus is showing them and us who he is. He's giving us commentary on his miracles. Jesus' work and his ministry, ultimately his death and resurrection, as we know, as we continue on in the Gospels, show us that he is king. He fulfills the throne of David. He is ruling and reigning. Jesus continues with his kingdom language in the second part and second answer in these verses, in verse 21 to 22, he gives another um, analogy here. He says, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe, but when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. See, Jesus is teaching again about the reality of who he is and what he's done, and he gives this example. Satan is the strong man, of course, but Jesus is the one 
stronger who attacks Satan and overcomes this kingdom. He's given commentary again on his being able to cast out demons and what he has done. He is telling them, look, you don't break into somebody's house. You don't break into their house and expect uh, to be able to take all their stuff. They are going to take you out, right? Especially a strong person. You do not, you do not go and break in to a strong person's house and expect not to be pulverized by them, right? This is just a, a logical thing Jesus is stating here, unless, unless someone stronger breaks into that house, takes all that they have, the things that they were trusting in, that they thought they were secure in, Jesus breaks all of those things, takes those away, and then divides the spoil. Now, this isn't here uh, teaching us that if you're strong, it's okay to break into somebody's house as long as you're stronger than they are. No, the point of the matter is, is Jesus is saying that's the picture of the kingdom of God in this world of Satan being the prince of this heir and Jesus in his kingdom has come in and defeated Satan. He is stronger than Satan and people that have been bound up, Jesus is able to free and he is able to distribute the spoil of all that God is doing through Jesus Christ in this world. To the victor goes the spoils and here the spoils are salvation. The benefits of those salvation. People being under the power of Satan that have been freed, that have been forgiven, now being at peace with God. That is what Christ has done in defeating Satan. Thirdly and lastly here, Jesus finishes his response to the crowds with a kind of concluding summary in verse 23. It says, whoever is not with me is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters. You see, Jesus clearly lays down the point that he is the dividing line. There is no middle ground when it comes to Jesus. There's no middle ground when it comes to the kingdom of God. To not be, quote, with me is to not trust in and acknowledge Jesus for who he is. To believe that he is Savior. To be, quote, against me is to not realize and believe that Jesus is who he says he is. That can be kind of, kind of offensively or even passively of not recognizing who Jesus is. You can be against him even in your own mind when you don't think you're against him. You're just not believing in him and following after him with your life. Jesus says, that means you're against me. To gather with me means to do the work Jesus has called us to do. For us, of discipleship, of obedience to Jesus' commands, and to scatter means to basically tell others nothing to see here, nothing to believe in, nothing to change your life over. It's that person who scatters. Jesus' statement begs the question for us today as well. Are you with Jesus or are you against him? There is no neutrality here. Jesus proves to us in these verses that the kingdom of God is indeed upon us. Jesus has broken into Satan's domain. He's come forth victorious. The kingdom is already here. 
As theologians have described, it's already, but it's not yet. It's here through Jesus, but it will be fully here when Jesus returns to this earth to judge the living and the dead. And you see, that is the fact that we need to see by faith this morning. Because let's just be honest, let's just be honest and frank with one another. When we look at the world, it does not look like Jesus is ruling and reigning it does not look like the kingdom of God has come and is here on this earth. But the truth of the matter stated by the very word of God is Jesus is ruling and reigning. His kingdom has already broken into this world and it will fully be seen with eyeballs when he returns. But now we see it as if by faith. And Jesus is giving us this commentary here in these verses saying, look, that's what is happening when I am casting out demons, when I am healing, when I am raising from the dead. What I am proving to you is I am who I am saying I am. The kingdom of God has come. I am Lord. I am stronger. I have broken in. I have defeated Satan. There's no neutrality Whoever's not with me, if you're not with him, you're against him. Whoever's not gathering with me, that is doing the work God has called him to do, you're actually scattering. In the next verse, so Jesus is defending his authority in these passages. He's giving commentary on what his actions and what that means for us. Well, in the, the following passages, Luke strings two accounts together that kind of contrast a response to this authority of Jesus, to what he's done, uh, to who he is. One is a bad response, and the other is an account that is unique to Luke and that shows us how we are to properly respond to Jesus. So let's look at the second main point, which is responses contrasted, verse 24 to 28. Now, verse 24 to 26 are some interesting verses. In this section, we see... Jesus peeling back for us a spiritual world that we do not see with our eyes. Jesus shows us what can take place when a person who has a demon cast out, but who then doesn't seek to follow after him, he can, he's showing us what can happen. This fits the context of what Jesus has been stating about casting out a demon and then someone speaking who was mute. So what then? Is that the end of it for that person? Is there other things for us to consider? Well, verse 24 to 26 show us someone who, as we could say, ultimately unchanged. Ultimately unchanged. Jesus says here in this passage, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, and again, he's just peeling back, a world that we don't see. When an unclean spirit is cast out of a person, it goes to waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, that unclean spirit says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. So Jesus is describing here for us a person who has had a demon cast out of them and his life has improved, things have obviously gotten better for him, 
But things went from bad to worse for this person. Started out good, turned into something bad, turned into something bad, bad. Jesus shows what can happen from the unclean spirit side of things, from this reality. So the spirit is cast out, and we see the reality here of unclean spirits, of demons, of the spiritual realm. It's a reality that is there. God's Word speaks about it. The spirit says, as it is cast out, I'll return back to the person. And it's as if the spirit finds other bad, evil friends bad, evil spirits, and they come back to the person, and now the person is worse off than when he started. So why does Jesus mention this, and why does Luke include it here? Well, Luke is giving us an example of someone who's come close to following Jesus, but who ultimately remain unchanged. In fact, they're actually now worse off. Luke is showing us this reality so that we will indeed come to Jesus and be a faithful follower to him. See, Luke is saying, look, this is what happens when you leave off the obedience part and the following Jesus part. This person Jesus is describing did not continue in obedience. It seemed, they came to Jesus, and it's, it's somewhat hard. These verses are a little bit difficult. They come to Jesus Their life got changed. They had a demon, a bad one, cast out, whatever that was. But the person didn't pursue godliness. They didn't put off the old and put on the new. They didn't renew their minds according to God's word. And the final state is worse than the first. Same principle at work in these verses is still applicable with us today. We don't often see uh, demons cast out of people today. Although we can't deny that that uh, does not happen. And by the way, if you don't think demons exist, you, you just, again, read the Bible. Read the Bible. But we see today that as we try to apply this kind of principle to ourselves today, I think we could say it's, it's not enough to just get close to Jesus. To find some sort of reform in religion or to go through some emotional experience and to think that we are now good to go. It's not enough to experience something from God, something good, and then not be changed by it and pursue godliness and pursue obedience to continue in the faith. It's, it's not enough to come and brush close with Jesus or with the things of the Bible and ultimately not persevere, not remain unchanged, to not kill sin in our lives, to live and to renew our minds according to God's word, to persevere, to fight. Right, brothers and sisters, we know what that's like in the Christian life. You go through ups, you go through downs, you must persevere. God's word calls you to persevere, to continue believing in Jesus, continue following after him when you fall, when you struggle in sin. You get up, you seek forgiveness, you ask God to change you, and you keep on keeping on. We persevere in the faith. That's what God's word is speaking about. But this person here, it's a picture of somebody who does not persevere. They had a change, but it didn't last. 
I began to shed tears in my study this week as I paused and thought back over my experience in the ministry, looked back over my years and thought of people who had seemingly come close to Jesus to seem to experience something from him, but who ultimately walked away. Some who indeed seemed to be worse off than they were before when they had whatever sort of experience with Jesus and As the proverb goes, they returned to the muck and the mire. Doesn't mean these people won't come back around or can't come back, but the point is they experienced something, but they were ultimately left unchanged. What a tragedy to see. These verses are, I think for us today, they're they're weird, but they need to be a warning They need to be a warning for us. It's not enough to come close to Jesus, to have some experience with him and not persevere in the faith, to not endure. This person came to Jesus, had a demon cast out, but but they weren't changed. They didn't ultimately change and it got way worse for them. I mean, at very minimal, can't we apply that to our lives and say it's just not enough to get close to Jesus or to do a Christian sort of thing and then just not be changed by it, not persevere by it, not seek to live in obedience by it and just think you're okay because you're kind of close with the things of God? Well, that's the negative side of the contrast. The next verses show us the positive we could call this one the faithful follower. And I think what Luke is doing, he's, he's contrasting these kind of two responses. These verses, as mentioned, verse 27 and 28, they're unique to the gospel of Luke. That is, they're not recorded in any other gospels. Not everyone in the crowd that day that Jesus was saying these things to was against him. So Jesus is teaching, you got these people saying... Man, he's doing this by the power of Satan. Nothing to see here. Don't be, be amazed by these things. You've got other people saying, ah, Jesus, not enough for us. We want to see another sign. Uh, give us some more signs. Uh, not good, not good, not good enough for us. Not everybody was like that. We know of at least one lady, one lady who was in the crowd. That day who was listening to what Jesus was saying, Everything that was being said, she listened to the leaders saying that Jesus cast out demons by the power of Satan. She listened to Jesus' response. I imagine as Jesus was saying these things, she's probably sitting there grinning. She's probably smiling. And Jesus is saying these things like, yeah, what what do you have to say to that of what Jesus just said? How are you going to respond to that? And I imagine she's in a very holy way sitting there saying, you tell him, Jesus, you tell him of these things. And at last, she couldn't keep it inside any longer. And Jesus is speaking. So, So she was agreeing with him. She couldn't keep it inside any longer. And she blurts out here in this passage, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. This is definitely a compliment that she's saying of Jesus. I mean, she's saying good things about Jesus's mama, right? She's saying positive things. She's like, you are a good man. Mary is blessed because she carried you. She nursed you. Blessed is she. It's very similar, actually, to what Elizabeth said, filled with the Holy Spirit in chapter 1, verse 42, 
where Elizabeth said of Mary, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb, right? A very similar thing. So how's Jesus going to respond to such a statement? He certainly doesn't chastise this dear woman, but he does change the basic thought of what she's saying. In verse 28, he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Yeah, what this lady was saying is good, but it's not complete. It's nowhere, nowhere near enough. Jesus said true blessedness goes to those who hear the word of God. And it's very important to see that second part. You're not just blessed because you hear the word of God. No, you're blessed when you hear the word of God and you keep it. That is, you believe it, you receive it, and you live by it. That is who is truly blessed. That is truly the one who God shows his favor to. God shows his favor to. God accepts the person who hears his word and keeps it. Those who listen, those who seek to obey, that is the one that God accepts and calls blessed. Think about what is being said here in these verses. Is Mary's hope and blessedness secure because of her being Jesus' mother or carrying Jesus? Is she blessed because of her status? Because of who she is? Jesus himself says, no, no. Absolutely not. No, she is not blessed because of her position. Rather, those who are blessed are those who hear and obey my words. That is who is blessed. Those who have faith, who hear and receive and obey. Listen to how J.C. Ryle puts it in his commentary. He says this. Listen closely. He says, it is more blessed... To be a believer in the Lord Jesus than it would have been to have been one of the family in which Jesus was born after the flesh. Think about that. It was a greater honor to the Virgin Mary herself to have Christ dwelling in her heart by faith than to have been the mother of Christ and to have nursed him on her bosom. No person can be nearer and dearer to Jesus than the one who hears and believes. Boy, that's an amazing thought to consider for us today. It's more blessed to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, to hear his word and to receive it, than have been in his physical family. It's a greater honor for Mary to have faith in Jesus than to carry Jesus in her womb. Think about that for a minute. No person can be nearer and dearer to Jesus than the one who simply believes. As Jesus has already said in chapter 8, verse 21, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. What an amazing example of how we are to respond to the work of Jesus. If you are someone who hears the word of God 
and you seek to obey it, just hear that this morning, if you receive the word of God and you seek to obey it in your life, you are more blessed than even the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is truly amazing, truly astonishing. What an encouragement for weary souls who battle to hear God's word and who seek to obey God's word. What an encouragement for you who are seeking to just get after God's word and be changed by it. Listen, Jesus is saying you are blessed. The favor of God is upon you. You are blessed. You are truly, truly blessed of God. Those who seek to hold fast to the anchor of Christ even in the storms of life, you have the very words of Jesus himself saying, you are blessed. You have it from Jesus' mouth. I just pray that puts some wind in our sails here this morning. To receive and know, because a Christian life is a struggle, it's a battle. It's a struggle, it's a battle, it's a fight and how encouraging it is to hear the word of Jesus say, those of you who hear my word and you are obeying it, you're seeking to live in obedience to my word, you are blessed. He's even saying that over and above Mary. Right, Mary herself, as if Mary herself is blessed just because of who she is. No, the person who is blessed is the one who hears the word of Jesus and seeks to live in obedience to it. That is the glorious good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That sinners who have not obeyed God's word, who have not kept his commandments, can be forgiven of their sins, can escape eternal punishment and damnation for their sins that they rightly deserve because Jesus has taken the penalty on himself. Jesus has taken the obedience on himself. He lived that perfect obedient life that you were supposed to and you couldn't because you're wretched. And Jesus lived it and he was punished on the cross for our sin in obedience to the Father. He saved us. He redeemed us. He gives us forgiveness and he calls to us, hear my words, hear my promises and keep it and keep it and you are truly blessed. In this passage, we've seen those who didn't receive Jesus. They wanted Jesus to do things on their terms. They, they wanted it how they wanted it and how they thought best. But Jesus clearly teaches us here that he is who he says he is. You come to him as a servant, as a slave. You come to him to be molded, to receive wisdom. You don't, you don't come to him to teach him something. You, you come to receive, you come humbly before him. Jesus says, my kingdom has come. I've plundered. I've overcome the prince of this world. How will you respond? How will you respond? Ultimately, unchanged or faithful follower. Jesus' kingdom has come. He is Lord 
of all. Therefore, we are to hear and we are to obey him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words before us from Luke chapter 11. Father, thank you for grace and mercy. Father, I pray that we would be those, that we would be a church of those who hear you, who hear your word, and who seek to obey, to follow after you, to truly be blessed. Father, thank you for having grace upon us through Jesus Christ. Thank you for showing us this morning just a glimpse of the reality of your kingdom the power of who you are, what it means by you casting out demons and the reality that has come upon us 2,000 years ago. Father, help us live by faith, not by sight. Help us seek to follow you, to hear you with all that we are. We praise you for your grace. We worship you as our Savior and Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.